Hello and welcome back. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Order Up, the podcast from the National Restaurant Association. I'm Carly McBride, Content Communications Manager and your host for this week's episode. Don't forget, make sure you're subscribed to Order Up on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. So all our new releases go automatically into your podcast feed and you don't miss a beat. Today on the podcast, I'm excited to welcome two guests. Joining me for today's discussion is Sarah Burnett, Vice President of Food Beliefs, Sustainability, and PR with Panera Bread. I'm also joined by my colleague, Jeff Clark, Director of the National Restaurant Association's Sustainability Expert Exchange Group. After a long and difficult two years suffering through the pandemic, Sarah and Jeff join us to discuss sustainability in the restaurant industry and what consumers are looking for in a nearly post-pandemic world. Sarah and Jeff, thank you for taking some time to speak with us. I know there is a lot going on in the world of environmental initiatives in the food service industry, so let's get started. Sarah, can you take a brief moment to introduce yourself? So tell our listeners more about you and give us a quick overview of your role with Panera and a little bit more about the company itself. Sure. Thanks so much for having me. I'm Sarah Burnett. I am the head of ESG and public relations at Panera Bread. I've been here for 17 years and I oversee everything from traditional sustainability, wastewater, energy, climate, to philanthropy, as well as all of our public and external relations. Panera itself is a company of a little over 2,000 restaurants. We operate here in the United States, as well as a few locations up in Canada. And we're really focused on serving um, high quality ingredients and menu items across all three day parts. And what we're most known for is soup salad sandwich. Great, thanks so much for joining us. I know Panera has an ambitious goal to become climate positive, so removing more carbon from the atmosphere than you emit by 2050. So can you tell us a bit more about that goal, where most of Panera's emissions come from, and how things are progressing for you so far? Certainly. In 2021, we met our previous climate goals. So we've been reporting on our carbon footprint since 2016, and we've been monitoring and trying to reduce our footprint. We hit our initial goal to reduce our direct emission carbon intensity. And as we finished that work, we started to look at setting a science-based target and really thinking about Panera, what is not only our responsibility, but what does the world need, knowing that the climate crisis is only intensifying. And as we looked at that, we knew that we needed to take bold action. And so as we looked at well below two degrees, 1.5 degrees net zero and beyond, what we felt comfortable as an organization is saying, how do we become climate positive? Which for us, that means removing more carbon than we emit by 2050. And we knew that this is a bold, ambitious goal. However, we felt that as an organization, we have the will and the resources and the commitment to meet that. And when we think about how we actually reduce our emissions over time, the majority of our emissions actually sit in indirect, our scope three emissions. So when we think about our direct operations, our bakery cafes, the miles driven, you know, by our drivers, etc. That is actually only about 15% of our total carbon footprint. And 85% of our carbon footprint lands in our indirect emissions, things like our franchise operations, 
as well as our supply chain. So when we think about meeting our ambitious goal, the majority of our work is actually going to be done in partnership with our supply chain, both our distribution partners, as well as our food and agricultural partners to actually reduce our total emission. Great. Speaking of partnerships, can you tell us a little bit more about your partnership with the World Resources Institute and also the Cool Food Pledge? So how has this helped your sustainability efforts? The Cool Food Meal Program at WRI is, yes, pardon the pun, very cool. We started working with them several years ago as we were both ideating around one problem, which is climate change is a huge issue. And it seems really complex. It seems hard to understand for our guests. And when we think about that, we said, you know, consumers really actually want to know what the impact of their plate is. How do we take this really complex issue, these huge carbon footprints, you know, terms like CO2E and actually bring it down to the consumer in a way that can actually influence them to take action and feel like they're making a difference with their plate. And so both WRI and Panera were really challenging ourselves to think about that problem. And fortunately at Panera, we're able to have all the information we need to actually calculate the carbon footprint of our plate because we have a robust nutrition and regulatory team who has all of our recipes, because we have a detailed greenhouse gas footprint. We were able to provide that as a data set to WRI as they went about doing the hard work of actually figuring out what actually does a low carbon climate friendly meal equate to in terms of carbon emission. And so WRI created or did that science and had a peer reviewed study and created what they call the Cool Food Meal Certification, which to me, the simplest way to say is a, basically a badge of approval for an entree that says this, this menu item, if you are eating this consistently, is in line with the Paris Climate Accord. And Panera Bread, we were the, proudly the first to use that on our menus in 2020. And they had several other concepts join them last year with Max Burger, with Nestle Professional, as well as Airmark to join them in using that cool food meal certification on their menus as well. As we look to, again, raise awareness with consumers, make it easy for them to choose a lower carbon entree. How this really ties into our broader ESG and our climate goals is, you know, first, we recognize that a bold goal for climate positivity by 2050 is amazing, but action needs to happen now we all collectively know we need to reduce our emissions by 2030 to stave off some of the worst effects of climate change. Therefore, we've actually set some interim goals for ourselves that by the end of 2025, we're in pursuit of renewable uh, electricity for all of our bakery cafes. We're in pursuit of increasing the number of cool food meal entrees on our menu, as well as reducing our packaging footprint through using circular packaging across the menu. And so Cool Foods is one of those levers that we have in order to actually reduce our impact over time. And we simply do that through engaging and informing guests and they can make a wiser choice, which in turn actually reduces our carbon footprint when they choose a lower carbon entree. Great. I was just going to ask about packaging. Can you tell us a little bit more about Panera's initiatives towards some more sustainable packaging? We've been working for several years to reduce our packaging footprint like many concepts in the industry, especially over the past several years, we're seeing a rise in off-premise business. So 
while we've always prioritized at Panera using reusables in our bakery cafes, so you get a real plate and real silverware, we know that that off-premise business isn't going to go away completely. And so packaging is an important part of our impact. And so we've been working to move towards circular packaging, which for us, we define as priority number one is more reusables, but then ensuring that all of our packaging is recyclable or compostable. And so we've been working across a couple different areas. One is ensuring that we have back and front of house recycling available for consumers and for our associates, adding composting throughout the nation, and then working on the actual packaging items themselves. So we've been working to reduce the amount of plastic we're using. We're also looking to ensure that small plastic items are actually either recyclable or we can transition them to a different material that's compostable. Now, these are long-term projects. They take many years to work through, but those are the types of priorities we have. The other piece is actually just transparency with the guest as well, labeling and using the how to recycle label and how to compost label. So guests know how to dispose of items. And then lastly, how do we actually get people to not use disposable packaging. So for example, we've leveraged our digital platforms to enable our guests to opt out of receiving cutlery with their orders. And for us, that equates to, you know, over 10% of guests saying that they don't want cutlery. And that actually equates to a significant amount of pounds that don't go to the landfill because most plastic cutlery is actually not recyclable because of its size and shape. So there's so many levers that you can pull with packaging. And it's really about actually finding a unique solution for each and every item in your portfolio. There's a lot going on there with packaging and, and you're doing some great work to support that. So I'd like to speak a little bit now about your workforce. So are you suffering any labor shortages like much of the restaurant industry is right now? And then another question, have you seen changes in your workforce behavior due to the sustainability efforts that your company is taking? We are not immune to, you know, the labor challenges that everyone in the industry has faced over the past several years. So we, we recognize there's not as many people coming back to work. There's other limiting factors for why folks are not returning to work or entering the workforce. And so for us, from an ESG perspective, this means two things. One is we have to find ways to attract and retain new talent. And we have to ensure that we are providing everything that associates need so that they can come to work each day. So that means appropriate wages and benefits, as well as training and growth opportunities. You know, it's really exciting for us, for example, 100% of our general managers last year were all internal promotions. So we um, are able to, you know, continue to grow our existing talent and, and help them on their career path. But when it comes to sustainability, it's really interesting. We know that you know, the younger generation, which is often much of our workforce, they are not only voting with their wallet and spending dollars at other brands that are socially responsible, but they're also looking for that in an employer. And while I don't have exact hard stats, what I would say an interesting anecdote is whenever we put out a press release regarding social or environmental programs, over the next several days, we see a significant spike in associate applications. And so for us, of course, just a correlation, but we really think that that's exciting because these types of programs do matter to these associates. And we think it will serve us long term when it comes to, again, attracting and retaining talent. 
That totally makes sense. So how do you continually engage that workforce on the Panera environmental values? I think for us, there's a couple things that we do to ensure that we are engaging our teams. One is making them part of the process. And so for us at Panera, we recognize that sustainability is not just my job. And it's not just the executive team's job. It's actually the responsibility of all team Paneras. And that's why we create cross-functional working groups that go across the organization who are working on these. For example, our climate road mapping process to actually develop our plan to become climate positive includes over 40 different team members across 10 different departments. So we're really looking to actually engage all of the team and that will help us not only to gain alignment, but actually find new innovative ways to meet our goals. And I think that's really critical for us across not only both the leadership of the organization or our sports center teams, but also reaching down to our associate bases and giving them information about what can they do? Can they provide information to the guests on what a cool food meal is? Can they provide nutrition information to a guest to help them eat the way that's you know best for them? Can they serve in their communities through programs like our day and donation program. So we want to make sure that we're giving those opportunities to everyone in the organization, not just a single team or a single person within the organization. Do you have any tips or small steps that a restaurant can take to become more earth-friendly and sustainable from your professional perspective? I think that it all starts with first your brand identity and who you are. What matters most to you is a concept. So I think that the strongest sustainability programs are rooted in who a brand and who a concept is. So, you know, for us at Panera, that means we have a set of foundational beliefs at Panera that we live by each and every day that extend from our mission and purpose. And we use that then to create priorities for ourselves. So I would say first, start with who you are as a brand, what matters most to you. If you're a bakery like us and you have lots of leftover bread and bakery at the end of the day and your goal is to get a loaf of bread in the arms of everyone, how do you donate your bread at the end of each night? So really start with who you are and find programs that extend from the things that you are best at. And then second, I would say, look around your restaurant. Find the things that are going to have the most material impact. And I would say the first two areas that I always say to look at is one, look at your trash. What are you throwing away? Is it food? Is it packaging? What's the most material thing? And then go after, how do I reduce that? How do I make less things go into the trash? And then second is look at your uh, order guides. What is the item that you're ordering the most of? For many of us, the biggest by weight is gonna be proteins, gonna be chicken and beef, et cetera. And so look at those and then start ideating around what can I do to either reduce the amount that I use of that or how do I actually reduce the impact of that ingredient? Do I source my chicken differently? Can I find someone else to purchase it from? Or can I, you know, make a blended product where I'm using chicken and other vegetables? So always start with your biggest impact and don't feel like you have to boil the ocean. You don't have to reduce your impact everything. Start with the biggest, the biggest bang and and go from there. Are you seeing any trends on the consumer side in regards to various sustainability efforts? On the consumer side, I think one of the silver linings 
from the COVID pandemic was consumers are recognizing that their actions actually have an impact not only on themselves, but on their neighbors, on their community and on the world. And for us, that's showing up in different ways. So it's showing up with consumers who are bringing their reusable coffee mug to fill up each day. It's showing up for guests who are looking for information on the carbon impact of both your organization, but more demand for information like the Cool Food Meals label, like some great work that other concepts do, like the food print that Chipotle does, or the amazing work that Just Salad does to label carbon footprint on their menu. We're seeing an increase in guests that are looking for that type of information, as well as this global rise and, and I think broader trend that's been for, for several years around a focus on plant forward eating. So not necessarily eliminating meat from a diet, but how do we actually balance our plates? And we're seeing more and more consumers looking for that flexitarian type diet. Sarah, in closing, again, thank you so much for joining us. In closing, do you have any other items that you want our listeners to know about Panera's efforts toward a more earth-friendly process? I would want to leave you with just a thought of much of when we look at broad ESG versus just environmentally friendly, we see a correlation directly between diversity, equity, and inclusion and our all of our work around climate as well as just community work in general. And I would say not to overlook the fact that as we make big changes to things like our supply chain, when we look at climate-related changes such as climate-related migration, et cetera, that there are impacts on people in our communities, on people who are working in supply chains, on producers who have farms in certain parts of the country. And so it's important for you to acknowledge and understand how you can make sure that your transition, whether it be from supply chains or between different associates and locations, that we are being inclusive and equitable in that transition. And it's something that we have to continue to focus on, both as leaders in the industry, but also as pillars of our community. It's something that's incredibly important. Are you hoping to make a difference on the policy topics that affect your business? Join us April 25th through 27th, 2022 in Washington, D.C. for our public affairs conference and be a part of the industry's largest grassroots lobbying event. Here, attendees will meet with lawmakers, network with industry peers, and come together to celebrate the restaurant industry. Please visit conference.restaurantsact.com to register. We can't wait to see you in person. So now we'll shift the conversation over to Jeff Clark, my colleague, who is the director of the National Restaurant Association's Sustainability Expert Exchange Group. So, Jeff, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. And we'll get started. Can you tell us what are we seeing across the board in the industry in regards to sustainability? So, of course, you know, with the pandemic and inflation and labor shortages and supply chain issues, it has been incredibly challenging for the restaurant industry to be focused on sustainability during the pandemic. That being said, uh, we are seeing some really great movements from our national members 
towards more diversity, inclusion, sustainability, uh, and, and all kinds of tracking and measuring of what they're doing with their supply chains, with in-house, and even carbon emissions. Uh, one example was fantastic is Brinker International, which owns uh, Chili's Bar Grill, Magiano's Little Italy. They issued their very first sustainability report uh, last year in 2021 and are really beginning to track uh, what they're doing at uh, an environmental level. Uh, it's an enormous undertaking to do this on such a large and complex business. So uh, hats off to them. It's fantastic work. And, you know, it does help keep them moving down the track of improving their environmental footprint, making it smaller as uh, they go through. And you can't manage what you don't measure, right? So you have to uh, kind of reissue these reports every year. And, you know, Yum Brands is doing a ton of great work. A lot of fast casual industry members are doing excellent supply chain work. Sweet Green, Panera, obviously, with Sarah speaking. And it's uh, a ton of great efforts moving forward. You know, that being said, we can always do better. We can always improve where we're tracking, what we're doing. And it's a never-ending effort. It's a journey, not a destination. So, Jeff, why should restaurant businesses focus on sustainability issues at all? Tell us about that. Sure. So it can be challenging. I, I get that. And I totally understand. I've been doing this for close to nine years now within the restaurant industry, working with restaurant operators to help improve uh, their sustainability efforts. And it, it can be tough. I, I get it. It's complex. Uh, there's a lot to learn. You need to work with suppliers and do all kinds of different, drastically different efforts from energy efficiency to water efficiency to tracking your food waste to sourcing how your food differently. Uh, so uh, always start small, especially if you're a small independent restaurant business. You need to take small steps and build upon those good practices, good behavior changes with your employees and build up from there. Otherwise, you will be completely overwhelmed and just give up. It's, it's human nature like we do with, you know, uh, New Year's resolutions after January 1st. Oh, yeah, we're going to go out and do this. We're going to make a change. And then it falls flat because it's really hard to make huge changes all at once. Same thing with businesses. So you want to start small. If you're leaving the lights on all night long, turn them off. If you have the door to your refrigerator open, you know, half the day or wasting energy, close the door to the refrigerator. Simple, small changes can lead to big differences over time. A really easy one uh, is replacing equipment with more Energy Star qualified equipment. It does have a higher upfront cost, but there's vast savings over the life of the equipment, no problem. So first and foremost, I'd say don't take this all on at once. But why should you do it at all? What are, why should we even undertake this? There are three kind of key reasons. Um, and the first one is, of course, your customers want it. We did a, the association, National Association, puts out every year a state of the industry report uh, for 2022. The report really highlights, again, you know, that customers want food that's grown or raised organically in an environmentally friendly way. And that 30% of adults would say they would make a choice of one restaurant over another if that restaurant had these options, local, organically raised, or environmentally friendly. And so you're like, okay, well, that's fine, 30% of my customers, but that's the average. When you actually break it down by age group, Gen Z, so that's 18 to 25, 
40% of them said they would make that shift. And for millennials, that's a 26 to 41 right now in 2022, 48% of them, almost half of your customers who are millennials who have money now because they're old enough, they have jobs, they have mortgages, are saying they would make that choice to switch to something that is organically raised or more environmentally friendly and food-wise. So it's a big deal, right? If you just ignore this and you keep doing the way you've been doing business or you just don't want to get involved, you're missing out on a key opportunity for increasing your individuals in seats, right? Getting your customers into your restaurant. So that's number one. Number two, it's a hot trend. Uh, the restaurant industry and, and the National Restaurant Association interviewed 350 professional chefs for our 2022 What's Hot report. And out of the top five results, two were in <laughs> environmentally focused. So number one was sustainable and reusable packaging. Number four out of the top five was zero waste slash sustainability. So actually the top three, interestingly enough, were all packaging. It was uh, sustainable packaging is number one. Number two was food quality packaging. So uh, packaging that allows to have good quality food by the end of your trip. So as we all know and have ordered French fries, for example, by the time they get to you via delivery, they're soggy and kind of gross. So finding packaging that does that for you. And number three, uh, that packaging that retains its temperature. So when you kind of focus all that, if you can say packaging generally more focused on sustainability and quality of food, so it doesn't get tossed in the trash. These are all really key things to think about for your what's hot with your chefs and your staff. And then, of course, your customers, if they're getting an end product that is more sustainable, that they can either compost or recycle, that maybe you tell them how to do so on the packaging, and that gets a better quality product they're going to want to eat and not throw in the trash. It's all, uh, all good stuff from a sustainability standpoint and, and business standpoint, right? Focusing on, again, not only customers, issue number one, but number two, the quality of that experience when they actually hold the food in their hand. And uh, number three... As we like to say, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. So we are really seeing uh, an expansion in state and local policies that are sustainability focused. Some of these deal with how packaging and waste is recycled, often called extended producer responsibility or EPR bills that uh, assess a fee to businesses that either make or use containers so this would be an added cost to restaurants. Another one is actually a combustion bans, where it's actually illegal to have natural gas-fired ovens, natural gas-fired underburning grills, all these things in commercial businesses for new buildings moving forward. And you know, the devil's in the details for all these. Sometimes restaurants are excluded. Sometimes they're included. It has to go through committee. There's a ton, a ton of steps to to get this down to a final law or regulation or ordinance. But that being said, we're seeing more of them. So if you are not doing anything, if, if you're just putting your head in the sand and you're, you're digging in and you're saying, we're not doing anything, we're not, we don't want to be involved in any of this, it's much harder for legislators and individuals who make these bills to say, well, we want to shift and help business. We want to make sure that uh, we're not harming restaurants because they're trying their best. They're making steps moving forward on reducing emissions, in, uh, reducing plastics going to the ocean, educating consumers on how to recycle and compost appropriately. So if you're 
you know, for these three reasons, it's a big deal to make sure you're at least starting to make these steps moving towards a more environmentally friendly business. Thank you, Jeff. What can restaurateurs do to improve their environmental efforts? Are there any easy plug and play type solutions that folks can start doing right now? Yeah, so I don't want to belabor this topic, uh, uh, but I do want to you know, stress that working in a hyper competitive industry like the restaurant industry, it's an incredibly difficult, challenging and time consuming process to be an owner. So there often isn't a lot of time left over for these kind of solutions and efforts. And frankly, you know, as I mentioned, there are a few easy ones, uh, low cost, low, low benefit, turning off lights, being more efficient, training your staff on, you know, making sure they're not wasting energy, wasting food, that kind of stuff. But some big ones that you could really do start with that aren't going to take a huge amount of time initially are buying efficient equipment, turning off lights, making sure you have all LED bulbs, small changes, small shifts, great places to start. Another one that might take a little bit more time, but is also a, a decent payoff is start buying renewable energy. Um, you don't have to be 100% renewable. Don't go crazy. Uh, restaurants require a ton of energy. So maybe just start with 10% or even 5% and kind of build it up from there. You know, by paying into the demand for solar, wind, or other renewable sources, you're helping to fund the infrastructure and building out of renewable energy. So if your current provider offers these resources, you know, see if you can make the switch. You might have to pay a little bit more. You might have to pay less. It really depends on where you are and your contracts and, you know, how much you can work with your actual energy provider to, to make these shifts. You can also just Google, you know, can I, how do I switch in my local area? Uh, but there are some great resources for Green Power Partnership by the Environmental Protection Agency can help you uh, work through some of these challenges. They can actually help promote kind of what you're doing and tell your customers that you are purchasing renewable energy, which they will like. You know, another one uh, that I think we've been belaboring on with the, with the association a bit, and it, it is a little more challenging, takes a more work and more training with your employees, but is a huge payoff, is tracking and reducing food waste. You know, understand, again, it's challenging. We're in a challenging environment, but you know, the impacts of cost, food cost and inflation has been tough on restaurants. And that nine in 10 of operators surveyed in our state of the industry report for this year did say they saw higher costs than prior to COVID-19 for food purchases. What did, um, what did surprise me a little bit, and it was a little bit, uh, I'm saying disappointed, to be honest, is that to counteract these costs, only about 30 5% on average of the restaurants surveyed said they'd increase tracking of their food waste. Now, again, I get it. Difficult business, lots of things to do. It's easier to uh, shop around and look for other suppliers because that's something you can do and, and, and shift, especially if you're an independent restaurant or family dining or casual dining. But tracking and reducing food waste for most of the restaurant businesses and operations will have a huge impact on your end result. And we actually offer resources, 86foodwaste, 86foodwaste.com, HTTP, not S, uh, we'll get you there. And uh, it does go through with specific detailed ways that 
restaurants have actually implemented and the results of implementing those efforts. Uh, it was a report we did a few years ago with the World Wildlife Fund uh, that we helped fund and got a grant from the Rockefeller Foundation and would love more of the industry to kind of take this on and actually adopt it as, hey, we're doing what we can to reduce waste. I think one of the challenges in the restaurant industry when looking at food waste is we don't really think about it. We're not really taking the time to think about where did this actually come from? So if you if you think about bread, okay? Bread, you use bread, you get to put it on the table, it often gets tired, it doesn't get eaten at the table, you can't recycle the bread, that's often illegal and it's definitely a health code violation. So you end up tossing it. Well, where did that bread come from? If you think about the amount of land that was used, that was either, you know, could have been forest and was converted into agricultural land, or maybe it was been in a family farm or, or a larger farm for decades or, or hundreds of years, could be used to grow something else that was, you know, used for wheat, the fertilizer used for that wheat, the water that could go to a stream or, or other uses for people to drink. Uh, the petroleum, the metal, the rubber, the electricity used to build the equipment, to harvest the wheat, to mill it, to turn it into flour, the hours and of labor to get it places and shipping it to a bakery, the love and attention and interest in converting that flour into dough that is then cooked, that uses energy in an oven, all the resources made to the oven, then the shipping to your restaurant location. And we take that and ah, we didn't use it in time or it's a little day old or the, you know, we gave too much to the customer and we just throw it in the trash. That's, if you think about how much time, effort, energy, and resources went into that one loaf of bread, it is insane. It's a criminal that we just toss it into the trash. So what can you do with it instead? Well, number one, you know, making sure you purchase the right amount of bread and mistakes happen. We get that. It's not the end of the world. But, you know, making sure that you don't overorder, first and foremost, the only way to understand whether you're overordering or not is to track how much is going to the trash. Two, if it hasn't been served to customers, donate it to someone in need. People who can eat that, homeless shelters, working with your local community on food banks and food donation. And if it can't go to people, uh, if you're in the right kind of area, it can either be given to animal feed, pigs love bread, they'll eat a ton of it, cows even. And at the last resort, you know, composting. You turn that food that came from the soil back into useful microbes and soil nutrients that go back to the soil to grow more wheat and bread and eventually turn into bread. So really just spending a little bit of time and it's hard in a restaurant industry that things are going crazy and your chef is sick and the bartender just left your business and you need to cover and do all these things. I, I get it. It's, it's tough. I've worked in the residency. I was a server for many years at many, many different restaurants. But taking that time to really think about where and how the food comes to you changes how you treat it when it gets to your restaurant. And uh, it was a great story by Rick Bayless, actually, was in a, on a panel with him many years ago at the National Restaurant Association show, literally talked about this, that spinach had been delivered to his restaurant, and the chef was just casually tossing it around, and, and <laughs> the older couple, the grandmother age, came up to 
his chef and said, grabbed him by the collars. You treat my spinach better than the way you've been tossing it into the corner like that. I spent time, energy, love, and attention growing this for you. And he said it completely changed the entire culture of the back of the house and how they treated the food and what they did with it and how it served to the customer and changed uh, the concepts of his restaurants. You know, how, how um, he engages with food, how he engages with the customers, how he engages with the suppliers. And he's a great success story. So it's a fantastic way to kind of shift how you're doing sourcing restaurant, how you're thinking about it, and then imbuing that into your staff and tracking where that food is going. Uh, if it's to the trash, how you can then change that moving forward. Got it. So Jeff, any closing thoughts from you as we wrap up this conversation on sustainability? Yes. So start with something. <laughs> start small, but start with something, right? That's the first, first and foremost. Don't bite off more than you can chew. Move slowly and, and get it done. Two, come to it with a level of excitement. You know, this is an opportunity to improve your local community, feed hungry people, make a change in investing into renewable energy and improving the lives of future generations because we're not just consuming and tossing resources away flippantly. And I guess third and finally, it's good for your business. Don't miss out on an opportunity that'll pass you by that your customers do actually want. Are you hoping to make a difference on the policy topics that affect your business? Join us April 25th through 27th, 2022 in Washington, D.C. for our public affairs conference and be a part of the industry's largest grassroots lobbying event. Here, attendees will meet with lawmakers, network with industry peers, and come together to celebrate the restaurant industry. Please visit conference.restaurantsact.com to register. We can't wait to see you in person. Thanks so much for listening to Order Up, the podcast from the National Restaurant Association. Follow us on your favorite podcast player and find out more at restaurant.org slash podcasts. Episode produced by Dante32.